Folks, I'm reading today from John 10, 1 to 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door by the sh- is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The, shep- the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech which Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is the hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep and sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not in the fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Amen. Morning, folks. How are we? Uh, morning, folks. Just so. Uh, can I just, before we come to God's word this morning, just pray for us as we do that? Uh, pray that God will speak through His Word as He always does. But we want, we really want Him just to be heard. All right, let's just pray. Father, uh, still our hearts, still our minds, as we come to think of uh, Your beautiful Son as the Good Shepherd. And the one who gave his life for the sheep. Father, we pray that through the power and person of the Spirit you would be close and that you would uh, just comfort us in whatever way we need comforted, uh, rebuke us in whatever way we need rebuked, uh, just speak to us in whatever way you see fit. I pray that our hearts would be open to it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We come today to. Probably one of the, 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 the most well-known descriptions of Jesus in the New Testament, the Good Shepherd. And many of you will have heard this story before, but it sets us up for the question that needs to be asked today when we come to this passage. And the story is this. Two men were called on in a large auditorium to recite the 23rd Psalm. One was a published orator trained in speech technique and drama. And he repeated the psalm in a powerful, powerful way. Uh, when he finished, the audience cheered, clapped, roared, uh, stood and gave him a standing ovation uh, for his wonderful voice and the way that he read the 23rd psalm. The other man was an older man, and he repeated the exact same words in his own way. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. When he finished... 
No sound came from the crowd. No applause, no standing ovation. Everyone just sat in a deep mood of devotion and prayer. And then the first man stood up and he says, I have a confession to make. He said, the difference between what you've heard from myself and my old friend, the difference in what you're hearing is this. I know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. I know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. Of the many images in the New Testament uh, painted by John in the Gospel of John, uh, probably the most descriptive of, of Jesus is as the good shepherd. For like a shepherd, Jesus is concerned with the welfare of the sheep. As, as Jesus delivered this sermon, it's on the heels of the, the healing at, at, at the Pool of Siloam last week, and he clearly has declared who he is, his purposes, his plans. And then in these verses, we hear the heart of Jesus displayed for everyone to see. He reveals his great love for sinners and his plan for dealing with their sin. And so as we hear this message this morning, as we hear about Jesus, the Good Shepherd, the question for us all collectively is this. It's one simple question. Do we know the shepherd? Do we know the shepherd? If you don't know him, then I want you to know that this message is what you need to hear. Over the next few minutes, you're going to hear firsthand from the Bible itself how we come to Jesus and how Jesus becomes our good shepherd. And for those of us who do know Jesus and who do know the shepherd, I really hope that these verses are an encouragement to us this morning as we see Jesus' love for us. So let's dive into the text itself. Jesus uses imagery here to illustrate the message. He uses the imagery of the sheepfold. And the sheepfold that Jesus is talking about is, is a literal sheepfold. It's a circular stone construction about 10 feet tall. Uh, and in that circular construction, 10 feet tall, there is one opening, and that's the door. And in that one opening, there is no physical door. It's just an opening. And what would happen at night was, would be that there could be several flocks placed in that one sheepfold, but there would be one shepherd who would sit at the door and be the door. He would lie there overnight to serve as the door. Nothing could get in, nothing could get out without going through the shepherd. And Jesus is telling us here, Jesus is telling us here that he is that door in the sheepfold. He himself is the shepherd. And Jesus is telling his audience that only thieves and robbers commit, seek to come in another way. He tells us here clearly that thieves and robbers, uh, they only come in, uh, they climb over with one aim, and that is to, to, to steal the sheep from the sheepfold. The shepherd, on the other hand, always comes the right way and stays in the door. And what Jesus is saying here is that he is the right person for the job. 
born in the right place, arriving at the right time, Scripture tells us, summoned from the right country in accordance with prophecy, proven by the right signs according to prophecy. Jesus possesses all the credentials to be the good shepherd. Luke 4, Isaiah 6, 61. When Jesus comes, He comes with the right credentials. John the Baptist, we know, introduced Him to the world and said that He had the right credentials. Virgin born, Isaiah 7, Matthew 1. He'd been born in Bethlehem, Micah 5, Matthew 2. He had come in the fullness of time, Galatians 4. He had been brought out of Egypt, Hosea 11. And his arrival had provoked the rage of the enemy, Jeremiah 31 and Matthew 2. You see, there had been so many come before claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be the good shepherd. But none of them, not one of them could stand the test that Jesus stood because he had all the right credentials to be the good shepherd. Not only does he present with all the right credentials, but he also fulfills the role as he calls the sheep in the correct manner. He calls the sheep in the correct manner. As I say, there, there are several flocks possibly sharing the, the same sheepfold. However, when the shepherd walks to that door and he speaks, the sheep know his voice. They instantly recognize his voice and they respond to him. They know his call. They know the sound of the good shepherd. So it is, folks, with someone who's lost. So it is with someone who doesn't know Jesus. There are so many voices in the world competing for our attention, for everyone's attention. But if you're not a follower of Christ and you, and you don't know the shepherd, there are multiple competing voices looking for your attention to lead you in a certain way and to lead you away from the shepherd. But there is a special note with the Savior's voice. And once you hear it, it is distinctive. When he calls, everything changes. When he calls, everything changes. Lost sinners, dead, sinful people are brought to life. Let me read to you Ephesians 2, where it clearly outlines how this happens, what happens. Ephesians 2, Paul, right in the Ephesians church, says that, the church at Ephesus says this, And you were dead in your trespasses, dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Those are all those competing voices. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And here, these two small words, listen to these. These are two of the, the most beautiful words in Scripture. You've just heard a, a, descript, a description of who we are in Ephesians 2, where we were, and then these two words change everything. But God. But God. 
being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, what did he do? He made us alive. Made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. You see, the voice of the good shepherd calls and we respond. We know his voice. It is the only voice that can awaken a dead heart. The only voice that can give hope. The only voice that sounds right in a desperate soul's ear. All other calls are empty and frightening compared to the call of the Savior. When the shepherd calls the sheep, he goes before them and they instinctively follow him. Here's a really interesting point. He doesn't have to drive them. They follow. When the shepherd calls, the sheep follow. He doesn't have to drive them. He just leads them out and they follow. You see, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, who claim to be followers of Jesus, what does that mean for us, that, that, that Jesus doesn't have to drive us? What it means is that for someone who has come to know Jesus, there should be a desire to follow. There should be a desire to walk in the ways of Jesus. There should be a desire to, to love your neighbor as yourself. There should be a desire. Now, let me ask you a question. If that desire is not there, what would that mean? Well, it means one of two things, I think. And I can only speak personally. I think it means that we have become dead and deaf to the sound of the Savior. Or we never knew the shepherd. It, is, it means two things. If there is no desire to follow, no willingness to follow, no, no getting after Jesus, then we've either become dead and deaf to the sound of the Savior or we've never known the shepherd. Jesus doesn't drive the sheep. He calls them and they follow. And then Jesus in these verses reveals his identity as the door. You remember there was one, only one opening in the sheepfold that was a, a clear opening and the shepherd stood in the gap to be the door. And then he is the door himself. Jesus makes this claim. As I say, nothing can enter, nothing can exit without going through the shepherd himself. And you see, this is one of the things, this is one of the claims that Christianity makes that no other world religion makes. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way. This is the truth is abundantly clear. 1 John 5, Jesus is the only way to the Father. Any other way leads all other ways lead to death and damnation. That's just, that's just clear from Scripture. And this is so out of sync with everything that we hear in the world today. For Jesus to make this claim, which he does, is contrary to every other message you will hear in the world today. Because the messages that you will hear in the world today is that there are many ways to God. Pick one. Whatever way you pick, that's fine. Jesus doesn't say that. 
Jesus says there is one way to the Father. No one comes to the Father but through me. He is the only way. Jesus plainly tells his listeners here in verse 9 that, that he, is, he alone is the door. He alone provides eternal salvation. And it is in that promise who enter through that door, those will be the ones that will be, as it says here, saved. That's a word that that's a word that gets fired around a lot in Christian circles, isn't it? Saved. But what does it actually mean? What does it mean to be saved? Well, this is literally what it means. Saved, to be rescued from all harm and danger. That's the literal translation of what it means to be saved. Rescued from all harm and danger. And for those who are saved in the, in, the, in the very Christian sense of the world, that means that they will be rescued from the wrath of God and they will experience the fullness of God's protection. That's what it means to be saved. Sometimes I think, I don't know about you, but sometimes I think we can be a wee bit shy of using that word today. I think we, it's, it, it has connotations of maybe we would say, old school religion, or whatever it might be, and we, 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 we shy away from the word saved. The only problem with that is that it's a biblical word. It's a biblical word. Jesus himself uses it. And so if, I want to take that weight off you, if you're talking to your neighbor, if you're talking to your co-worker, if you're talking to whoever, and you use that word and you go, ooh, it's a wee bit cringy, don't feel that. It's perfectly fine. Jesus uses it, it's fine for you to use it. Just explain what you mean. Just explain what you mean. Jesus says there's one way to be saved, and that is through him. Through him. We move into verse 10. Uh, let me read verse 10 to you, because t verse 10 is, is an interesting verse. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. There we go. Uh, and, and we'll go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. And I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Right. Going to do a wee test. You love this. And this is in no way, please do not feel ashamed. Please do not feel silly. Please do not feel under pressure. Just a bit of engagement would be good. Right. Who's the thief? Who? Who? The Satan. There's an overwhelming theme coming forward here that is Satan, right? Am I right? Am I reading that right? There's an overwhelming theme that I'm getting that is Satan, right? Only thing about that is it's not. It's not. This verse has been, has been said in that way so many... When did that come in? When did that come in to... This is interesting. I like this theologically, theological geek coming out right now. When did that understanding come to be that the thief mentioned in John 10.10 10 was Satan? When did that come in to be? In the 1800s and 1900s. No one before that thought that. None of the church fathers, none of the reformers, no one. 
Who has Jesus just been talking about and contrasting himself to all along? The religious leaders. All along. The religious leaders. He doesn't just shift like that. The thief comes, and then he goes, and then he say again, "Everyone who come before me was thieves and robbers." Jesus is actually talking here when he says the thief comes to to kill, steal, and destroy. He's talking about the religious leaders. He's not talking about Satan. And what he's saying is that the religious leaders up until this point have used Israel, have used God's people for their own gain. They have manipulated and abused the people of God for their own gain. And so when you read John 10.10 and you read the thief, the thief is a threat to the sheep, but it is not Satan that Jesus is speaking about. He is speaking about the religious leaders of the day. They have used the sheep for their own personal gain. And they do not care. They do not care about the sheep's well-being. Jesus, again, is contrasting himself with them and saying, I am the good shepherd. You see, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they put themselves up there as shepherds of the sheep. They weren't. They weren't. The good shepherd, on the other hand, comes that the sheep might experience life in all its fullness. I love the way that John 10.10 puts this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Life and abundantly. Right. We live in a world, and, and, and this is true. Tell me, if it's, tell me if I'm wrong. We live in a world where people outside of Christianity, people who are not Christians, think that Christians have the most boring life in the world. Am I right or wrong? That's not what this says. Jesus says he came to give life and give life abundantly. Now, could be that some of us have made that a thing because we do live the most boring lives in the world, right? But we should not. It's funny how the world also looks at what not being boring is. So the world looks at not being boring as going out and getting so off your face that you're vomiting and you're, and you're lying in your own vomit. That's a great time. Let's all do that. That's not boring. Whereas Jesus says he comes and gives life and gives it abundantly to those who follow him. He gives us the ability to live better. He gives us the ability to love better. He gives us the ability to do something with our lives that matters. That's what living life in all its abundance looks like. It's not what the world thinks it looks like. Verse 10 Jesus says, he's a good shepherd. The thief comes only to kill and, heal, or kill and steal and destroy. 
Verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 12, he who is a hard hand and not a shepherd, he does not own the sheep, but sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees the wolf. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Jesus explains the difference here between the concerned shepherd and the hard hand. And it's very easy. It just makes sense what Jesus is saying here, funny enough. He says when trouble comes and it's just a hard hand, the hard hand's obviously going to run away. They don't care about the sheep. They're just there for the paycheck. They don't really mind. But not the good shepherd. The shepherd, on the other hand, he owns the sheep. He has a vested interest in their welfare. And he is willing to pay the price to protect them even if it means giving his own life for them. You see, Jesus has proven that he is the good shepherd because when he saw danger, and he saw that the sheep were in danger, he did not run away. But he did everything he had to give to save them. The Bible talks about people as sheep. Isaiah 53 says that we are wayward like sheep, wayward in our sin, and that sin has separated us from God. And worse than that, it has put us under the wrath of God. And this waywardness, this being like sheep, this wandering away from God will eventually lead in every lost sinner finding their way to eternal damnation. However, the good news of the gospel remains the same, that the good shepherd did something about that. Jesus came, the good shepherd came, and not only only did he talk about giving his life for the sheep, that's what I talk about all the time, Jesus doesn't just talk the good game, he actually went through with it and gave his life for the sheep. Dying on a cross. For the sake of every lost person. As we move down through the passage into verse 14, Jesus speaks of this bond that exists between the shepherd and a sheep. Verse 14 says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. This is, this is really applicational for you and for me. And so I want us to really get this part, right? Let me just read that to you again. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. See, I don't know about you, but, but I'm just going to fess up and say that I don't know much about sheep. It's just a reality. Now, when people hear hashtag rural church planting, I think they think that I do, like I'm a shepherd part-time and a pastor part-time and maybe have an odd cattle or so or whatever. But the reality is John lived in Kiltariff Park all his life and was as much of a townie as anybody, right? So Hashtag rural church planting isn't really that rural, to be honest, right? So, but I don't know much about sheep. 
I'll just confess. But to the untrained eye, looking at a field full of sheep, or looking at a flock of sheep, or looking at it, even in the sheep fold, even in the pen, to an untrained eye, I wouldn't be able to tell one from the other, right? Just wouldn't. I can always remember being in, in Julie's house when we were, it's not sheep, it's cows, it's different, but I can always remember being in Julie's house when we were younger and looking out at the field and David, her younger brother, her younger brother at the time, I'm not going to tell you what age he was because that will reveal several things about what age I was when I was at Parks and no one else knew that, right? So looking out into the field, we could see the field and we could see like there's 200 cows in the field. And David, who was young at the time, could look at, that, could look at those cows and be like, that's number such and such. That, and I was like, what? And he was like, that's number 190. How do you know that? Well, it's got this marking on its back, or, this, or it looks like that, or blah, blah, blah. Or that's 200 because of this or that or something like that. I just thought that was nuts. I just couldn't get into my head how he knew every single individual cow by the way they marked or by whatever. And to the untrained eye, we, I couldn't tell them apart. But for a shepherd who knows his sheep, he knows everything about them. There's a story told of a, a shepherd, a Christian guy and a shepherd were out in the field, and, and the shepherd said, see that sheep over there? He said, notice how it toes in a little bit. The one behind it has a squint. The next one has a patch of wool off its back. Uh, the one ahead of that has this distinguishing black mark on it. Uh, the one behind that there to the left has a bit torn out of its ear. And, and the, Christian, the Christian guy st- sort of stopped him and like, how do, how, how do you know all those things? And he just simply turned around and says, I know my sheep. And the Christian guy couldn't help but think of Jesus and the sheep. He knows everything. He knows everything about you if you're a follower of Christ. You may sit in here this morning and you may feel that no one knows the stuff that's going on. And the reality is, here's the reality, I think anyway, no one does know. No one knows what's going on in your head right now, apart from you. No one knows what's going on in your heart right now apart from you. No one knows what you're thinking about, what you're worried about, what you're stressing about, what, tomorrow, what you're thinking about coming tomorrow, what's coming this week. No one knows that, but there's one who does. There's one who does, and that's Jesus. And that's all that matters. You're never, ever alone. You're never alone. Though it may feel like that in this world, you are never alone. The good shepherd is always with you. He always knows. How good is it that he knows where you're weak and can strengthen you? How good is it he knows what you're thinking right now and how sinful it is, and yet he forgives you. The good shepherd is unbelievably gracious to us. He knows you. 
And if you're in Christ, He has forgiven you. You're forgiven. How good is it to be fully known? I mean, fully known and yet fully forgiven. Because let's be honest, if everyone in this room knew everything about everyone in this room, do you think there would be much forgiveness? And yet He fully knows us and fully forgives us. He knows you. He knows you. Jesus then goes on. He says, Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Let's circle back to the question that we've begun with. And the question is this. Do you know the shepherd? Do you know the shepherd? Because, folks, there is no greater question than that. that the answer to that question will, will ultimately determine where you spend eternity. Your answer to that question makes a difference between heaven and hell. If you know the shepherd this morning, you can rejoice in his forgiveness and rejoice in the fact that you're known and rejoice in the fact that he calls and doesn't drive, and you can rejoice in all those things. But if you do not know the shepherd this morning, you cannot rejoice in any of those things. And in, the rea in reality, we should be in fear and trembling if we do not know the shepherd. But I want to leave us with a couple of thoughts this morning for us as believers. If you're a believer in here, I want to leave us with a couple of thoughts. Because Jesus says here that there are others who are not of this fold, but who are going to be brought in. Who's he talking about? Well, in the immediate context here, again, if you put it all together, the context of, of even the thieves, he's talking about the, the religious leaders of the day, he's talking to Jews. Who's he, who's he mean by there are others not of this fold who are going to be brought in? He's talking about Gentiles. The message, the gospel is going to go out, and there are going to be others grafted in, as Romans talks about, grafted into the church who are not of this sheepfold, not of the house of Israel, Gentiles. And praise God, that has happened. Over the last 2,000 years, the gospel has reached a wee small place like Rathfrain, County Down, and Gentiles have been brought into the kingdom of God. Amen? Yes, that's us. That's us. We stand here today because of this good news that the gospel would go out, others would be brought in. And this process is still going on. And that means two things for us. That means two things for us as believers. There are still people to be brought in. There are still people to be brought in. There is still work to do. That's why we evangelize. That's why we tell people the good news about Jesus, because he is still on this mission. This mission has not changed. There are others to be brought into the sheepfold. And that sheep, 
the sheepfold looks very different, doesn't it, in different places? The sheepfold looks different here in Cornerstone than it does in Second and Third or in the Baptist. Or, or the, or, and, and let me just say clearly again, I don't give a stuff what part of the sheepfold they're in, what wing of the sheepfold people end up in. Not one stuff. I do, all, all I care about is heaven or hell. That's it. But we have been given the task. Jesus gave the disciples the task to go into the world and make disciples. And so we go with that in mind. And we, with, the, with the purpose and the promise that there will be those come into the sheepfold. And this is the second point I want to make today as we, as we conclude. First of all, there's still work to do. The mission is ongoing. There are those outside the sheepfold who need to be brought in. But here's the second point, And this is the best point. There will not be one sheep left outside the sheepfold that was supposed to be in the sheepfold. Not one. When it's all said and done, when it's all wrapped up and Jesus returns, there will not be one left outside the sheepfold that was supposed to be left out, or not supposed to be left outside the sheepfold. They will all be safely gathered in. And that's where the rest comes for the believer. That's where the rest comes for the believer. Because we go, we share the gospel. We pray that the Lord moves and we leave it in his hands. We leave it in his hands. Because he is faithful and he will accomplish every single purpose that he has set out to accomplish. And I have other sheep who are not of this fold. I must bring them also. Who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? It's not us. I must bring them also. It's him. Praise be to Jesus, it's him. And they will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. That will include people from different denominations, different religious backgrounds to our own. There will be some surprises, no doubt. When you look at another sheep up there, you think, I didn't think that sheep would be here. But they will be. Because he's the one that calls, he's the one that saves, and he's the one that brings hope. Amen. He is the good shepherd. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have sent Jesus, the good shepherd, into the world. And he is good indeed. Father, we thank you for the care that he has for the sheep, how he loves, how he protects them, how he guides them, leads them, does not drive them. Father, we thank you for the grace that he has shown us. Father, I pray that through the Spirit of God today, we will know the shepherd more clearly. 
we would love the shepherd more dearly, and we would want to spend our lives with and for the Good Shepherd. In his beautiful name I pray. Amen. We come to celebrate, to remember the Good Shepherd now in communion. I'm just, I'm just reading the text here. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me. I lay down my life for the sheep. Folks, in communion, that's what we're remembering. We're remembering the fact that he is so good and he laid down his life for us. His body broken, his bloodshed was for the forgiveness of our sin so that we might know him and know life abundant as he talks about here. And so if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a follower of the Good Shepherd, then I lovingly ask that you take communion with us this morning, that we celebrate, we remember his body broken, his bloodshed. Come confess sin, repent of sin and then turn to faith in Jesus and come and take communion. But if you're not, if you don't know the shepherd, please, please come to him this morning. Please give your life to the shepherd this morning. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants to protect you. He wants to give you this abundant life that he talks about. Please come to him this morning. If not, I lovingly ask that you don't take communion this morning with us. It doesn't make sense for you to proclaim something that you don't believe in. But why not? Why not believe? Come to him this morning. Let's worship.